0: Turning to the bookstall, I picked out Fantasties, a fairy romance by George MacDonald. That evening, I began to read my new book. That night, my imagination was, in a certain sense, baptised. The rest of me, not unnaturally, took longer. This is Pints with Jack, Season 5, Episode 12. The Fantasy and Science Fiction Makers. After Hours with Andrew Wall. Good morning everyone, Pints with Jack is your weekly C.S. Lewis podcast where three friends, Andrew, Matt and David, break down and discuss the works of C.S. Lewis. This season we're talking about love, slowly working our way through The Four Loves, the book where Lewis writes about affection, friendship, romance and charity. However, today is a Thursday and an After Hours episode and today I'm speaking to writer and director Andrew Wall. In 2002, Andrew stumbled into the world of film and television when making a corporate video in his spare time. He eventually found himself gainfully employed as an editor for Farpoint Films, and he started writing and directing his own projects, focusing on meaningful stories and inspiring subjects. And along the way, he became an accomplished editor and director, with his award-winning films screening nationally in Canada and throughout the world. Andrew eventually founded Refuge 31, a production company that gives the world refuge, hope, and inspiration. Andrew Wall, welcome to Pints with Jack.
1: Hey, thanks for inviting me.
0: (laughs) I'm really looking forward to today's episode because it's somewhat preparatory for some watch parties that we will be having of your work with our patron supporters in the coming months. So I'm really hoping that today's episode will whet everyone's appetites and perhaps those who aren't patron supporters yet might be inspired to do so.
1: Well, that's cool. I'm flattered.
0: <laughs> well, today I am drinking Lady Grey tea. One of my friends, Joe, recently messaged me asking about it. It's basically Earl Grey tea uh, that's a little lighter and it's infused with lots of citrus. Uh, Andrew, are you drinking anything?
1: Yeah, I'm drinking coffee. Uh, it's actually McDonald's brand coffee. Uh, I don't know whether I prefer Starbucks or McDonald's best, but with cashew milk. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you've got to support those big brands. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, I, I I have to say, uh, when it comes to comparing them all, I. I the McDonald's kind of nailed it, but they probably put a billion dollars into finding that right sort of flavor and, and taste. And so, okay.
0: <laughs> the exact right chemicals that get into your brain and make you keep coming <laughs> exactly. back for more.
1: Exactly. <laughs> well,
0: you're good health. Cheers.
1: Yeah, yeah. Cheers.
0: So would you mind sharing a little bit about your background and your career thus far?
1: Yeah. Well, when I was a kid, I was just fascinated by filmmaking. You know, VHS cameras were kind of expensive and my dad bought me one. And uh, wow. I didn't launch into making documentaries. I uh, made horror films, endless <laughs> horror films with my friends. Um, some of them were really distasteful. Some of them, like, our, our family members, extended family, were just mortified. And, uh, it like, I never kind of, like, everyone sort of treated the whole idea of filmmaking as, like, not real. Uh, you know, you're just fooling around, right? Fooling around. And that's sort of a famous thing in my life that mm-hmm. sort of come back. To uh, you know, I have a very much different understanding of fooling around now and playing. Uh, So I would just play around with cameras and make make uh, horror films. I wish somebody had directed me to you know maybe do something a little more productive. Uh, In grade ten, I had a geography teacher uh, or history teacher actually, who uh, said make a documentary on the uh, some you know something interesting. So we did D Day, um, which the Canadians had a big part of. And uh, it was fun. I put VHS back to back and then we would do our edits like sort of like back in the eighties with, with little VHS, you know, really rough cuts, but, you know, taking footage from the library, uh, you know, ripping it off another VHS. So that was my first sort of documentary, but I was surrounded by people uh, with MBAs and engineering degrees and they were like, well, that's not a real career. And so when I went to register (laughs) for university, my older sister, was like I was like oh maybe I should take filmmaking and she's like that's a rubber class and back in the day you had to like actually dial in to register it was a really horrific process at the University of Manitoba and she was helping me and I never got registered for filmmaking uh, I, I so it it again sort of like passed me by in that moment and you know about five years later uh, after taking theology and economics in school I was working in Calgary as a kitchen designer. And a friend said, Why don't you move back and we'll do little commercials and corporate video? And I was like, That, you know, I really loved what I was doing, but I thought that's really interesting. That's kind of like what we did as kids, but maybe we can pay the bills with it. And so I moved back and started doing uh, corporate video, which I found absolutely fascinating. It got me in so many doors from, you know, Canada's top virology lab to, I was one of the last people to interview Canada's uh, media mogul, Izzy Asper, the day before he died. And it was just like this sort of fascinating world of of getting into corporate boardrooms and getting into really unique places doing corporate video. And broadcasters reached out and said, hey, do you want to do a documentary on the Cold War uh, for our local station? And uh, I said, sure. And that's kind of how it just, you know, the corporate video, the interviews, just sort of translated it into documentary. And uh, it, it was, that's kind of how I got there. And luckily I have a wife who supports me, who, uh, who supports me as in like, you know, deals with me, you know, on all these crazy journeys and and uh, mind trips that I go on, but uh, she's a nurse and she just loved getting involved. And so she, she often helps with wardrobe and reenactments and makeup and that kind of stuff. And, and that allowed me to work for Farpoint Films, which is a very accomplished company in Canada. And beyond, uh, not just in documentary, but also dramatic um, editing for Comedy Network, uh, editing features and documentary, though, is kind of always pulls me back in. And it really starts with me just getting an idea or having a conversation. And I kind of don't stop. You you know, we, we joked earlier on about process, my process. I don't really have a process other than I get sort of, you know, fixated on something and then I think, well, maybe there's a, a show there. And uh, when I worked for Farpoint Films, my boss, Kyle Bornet, would say, yeah, that's a show. So let's make it. And uh, eventually, I kind of like got tired of making it for another company. And Kyle said, well, don't go on your own. Um, Let's partner in a a company where we can tell the stories you want to tell. And that's where Refuge 31 came out of. And uh, we kind of just do stories that like interest me in particular. And uh, my producing business partner usually has to say, yeah, that's a story. And then we do it um, or, or he says, yeah, we can't sell that or we can't get, you know, we can't get funding for that. And so that's kind of like how we got to making uh, documentaries. Uh, that's what I, I've been very blessed and lucky to be able to do uh, for the last, I, I don't know, 11 years, I think we've had Refuge.
0: Mm. And prior to the projects that we're going to be talking about today, what had been your exposure to CS Lewis previously?
1: Yeah. I mentioned my older sister. Uh, I had two of them much older. And, uh, when growing up, we had a CS Lewis book, the silver chair in our sort of like collection of children's books. That was it. The rest of the box was <laughs> empty. And my mom would be always like, Oh, you should read CS Lewis. It's such a good you know, thing. And I'm like, we have, I remember once trying to read it. I'm like, okay, are there more books for this? And, and that was it. That was my CS Lewis exposure. Um, so obviously, when we started uh, working on a project about C.S. Lewis, I started reading C.S. Lewis, and uh, mm-hmm. it. But like I said, it, it started with sort of an idea, um, and the idea of faith and imagination, and that just led me to sort of like going, wait a minute, C.S. Lewis, and Tolkien, and George MacDonald, and and so that was my, that was my C.S. Lewis experience. It Was very little, uh, same as Tolkien as well.
0: But what an introduction, uh, because you then get to talk to some of the smartest people in the world about all of those people. Uh, I did chuckle when you said you just had a copy of The Silver Chair. I interviewed Catherine Langrish, and she just released her book, From Wardrobe to Spare Oom. Um, and she commented that the first book she read of Lewis was The Silver Chair. And she's saying, I, I think I must be the only person in the world. Well, we have found the one other person <laughs> that started with the Ananya book out of order. <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, and I I really regret uh, not being able to read that that full collection, but at the same time, I don't know. I when I when I finally did read it, I chewed through them all right in preparation and panic. Mm-hmm. Right, you're you're we're, we were eventually going to interview some really important people, who you know, Archbishop Canterbury, uh, who writes about you know <laughs> Narnia. So I, I it was it was a totally different experience for me, and uh, it, it sort sort of like Tolkien as well um grade 8 teacher walked in the room with a box of the hobbit threw it on the table and said read and uh he <laughs> he proceeded to leave for the next semester uh like just never come back and uh <laughs> 20 years later i was told well he actually was going through a lot of real personal issues and so my my introduction to tolkien was in a room full of kids like screaming and doing whatever they want unsupervised while we're supposed to be reading the hobbit and you know then eventually he realized this isn't working so well so he just put on for a couple of classes the animation <laughs> of the hobbit. oh okay so mm-hmm. so i kind of was like oh we could just watch the animation rather than reading the books uh i i really <laughs> regret that i didn't you know get get into the hobbits <laughs> or get into tolkien but i also that's also a little bit of how i guess my mind works i, I when i understood the context of why C.S. Lewis was writing Narnia, when I understood his history and his background, as well as Tolkien's, I could suddenly chew through uh, Lord of the Rings. Like, I, I got it. I, I he's This is why he's writing. This is how he was approaching it. And, and it made a, a, a much more interesting and engaging uh, series of stories for me as well.
0: So you've told us about how you first encountered Lewis, first encountered Tolkien. What about George MacDonald?
1: George MacDonald, well... And 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 for that I kind of almost have to go back and what started the the idea for the fantasy makers. Uh, I had in a, an interview of Malcolm Geist. and if you Google him, he's just a brilliant poet. He's a brilliant mm-hmm. mind, um, mm-hmm. and I, I interviewed him for a totally non-related uh, documentary about uh, Steve Bell, who's a singer-songwriter up here in Canada. Malcolm's a writing buddy of his. They get together every so often and write. And um, Malcolm started talking about faith and arts and all these things. He's also a former chaplain at Girton in Cambridge. And uh, so he's talking about it and he has, you know, all, all your heart and mind and soul to God is what you give. And I'm like, okay, I've heard that. And he's like, and that includes your imagination. And I'm like, oh, well, that's interesting. And he started talking about art, right? And I'm like, okay, yeah, that, that's, you know, you, you've heard that line in church many times, but he had a very different take on it. Um, and I thought that's that's really cool. And then Steve Bell afterwards said, Well, you know, he's like an expert on Narnia and and you know, Lord of the Rings. And I'm like, Oh, I didn't know that. And so, you know, I started talking with him and I said, Hey, if I came out to Cambridge, could we do like maybe a, an interview uh for an idea I have, a concept? And he's like, Oh, yeah, 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 sure. And I went out there and we did an interview talking about, you know, imagination and C S Lewis and Tolkien. And but before I went, I googled you know Christian uh fantasy writers and George McDonald came up on Wikipedia. And I'm like, okay, you know, and I'm like, and I'm like, well, there seems to be a connection here. This is really a story. My business partner and producer said, yeah, that's a story that you know the great fantasy writers of the 20th century are 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 Christian, um, you know. Post, you know, two thousand. It's that's that's a, that's an interesting fact uh, these days. And uh, the uh, so I, I sat down with Malcolm, and it was like I, I don't know. It was like getting a degree or a master's degree. You know, the four <laughs> hours I spent with him having pints, and he uh, it was just really fun. It was really generous of him to spend his time afterwards after we did the interview, and then I went on I. I got a hold of michael ward and i said would you like to talk about it for this idea we have uh about imagination and faith and the great fantasy writers being you know christian and he's like yeah sure and i was like okay and uh so it that's just sort of how it, how how uh, i got introduced to this all and the idea of, of that maybe there's a story there uh, a story worth making a documentary out of uh, Michael Ward and uh, Malcolm Guy were the sort of the, the first sort of real conversations on camera. We went back uh, two years later and re-interviewed them uh, as lo- as well as like a whole bunch of other people, including uh, uh, the Archbishop of Canterbury, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, Rowan Williams. And uh, they all were really like, yeah, sure, we'd love to talk about it. And I'm like, great. And that's kind of how I work, right? You find <laughs> people that are interesting you say, "Hey, mm-hmm. I know you spent your life writing and talking about this. Do you want to go on camera?" And often they're they're quite agreeable, except for J.K. Rowling. So I always got like sort of a letter <laughs> from these people.
0: <laughs> okay, but no, that has also been my experience as well. When I've been seeking out people for interviews, by and large, Lewis and Tolkien nerds are are very affable and they are they are very happy to sit down with you for an hour and just gush about you know their favorite authors.
1: Yeah, exactly. Now, the
0: documentary is wonderfully put together. There's a great score. There's graphics and animation in it as well to help break down some of the ideas. Uh, and I, I noticed a few of the settings. There's the mecca for Inklings Lovers, namely the Wade Center. Uh, and uh, there was a comic book convention as well. How did you set about uh, stitching all of this stuff together into a documentary?
1: Um, that's a good question. Uh, you know, <laughs> go back to my process. I I, I really sort of like fixated on certain things and and the ideas that sort of like brought it all together was that um, the commonality between these three, three writers. So when I dove into George MacDonald after googling him, um, I I you know I found it just fascinating. And now I'm answering the question that you asked earlier. Finally, um, I, I found George MacDonald just absolutely fascinating and brilliant because he was also a priest um, or in England in. And that there's a commonality that not just with these three, but so many previous writers, uh, a deeper spirituality and, and faith. I just started seeing, I guess, you know, those scenes of them reading books as children, right? Obsessed with, well, not obsessed with books, but just immersed in books and and mm-hmm. and reading and reading and reading everything. And that's what really struck me about Tolkien and Lewis as well. Is that like there wasn't anything they weren't afraid to read, and I think also with C.S. Lewis, there there's a very sort of conservative uh, movement that has embraced C.S. Lewis, um, but they don't realize quite the real C.S. Lewis was a very open-minded sort of his imagination and his reading included everything. Uh, he was he wasn't afraid of anything, um, and you know they sometimes they people get a little uncomfortable when you start talking about all his. Uh, the myths and, and the, the the Greek legends and all that. They just want to fixate on sort of his religious theological writings. But I, that I found with. that <laughs> that they agree with. Yeah. Well, and, 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 you know, at one of the screenings of the film that you guys are going to watch, uh, I had a gentleman just flip out at the implication that C.S. Lewis's brother was an alcoholic. And I'm like, well, like, do you not know any of it? I've never come across that. <laughs> And they were furious that I implied C.S. Lewis smoked and that Tolkien smoked. And I'm like, and that was a really interesting moment in this whole process that there's people out there that are huge Tolkien and Lewis fans that see it in a very narrow sort of window. And uh, I was lucky to have a couple of them reach out and go, you know, I'm really glad that you kind of introduced the the other side of this hole. Um, it, It helped them think of it in a different way.
0: Dr. David Downing at the Wade Center. He once asked his mother why she never introduced him to C.S. Lewis, and she said, "Well, he was an Anglican. He smoked and drank. I mean, what could he really tell you?"
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and there's some real life story there to understand with C.S. Lewis. Some of the things and some of the people and the way he dealt with them are really, you know, life is messy, and uh, C.S. Lewis's life was messy. Um, he was brilliant. He was a brilliant, you know. Uh, you know, I am gonna call him an artist. He was a brilliant writer, artist, imaginary. And uh we can, you know, be be kind and gentle and learn a lot more if we actually look deeper into the stories. I, I love talking to some of the uh the people like uh Dickerson that I that I interviewed for the science fiction mm, makers. Brenton. Mm-hmm. Um yeah Brenton Dickerson. Uh, which I also interviewed a Dickison for the uh the fantasy makers, which is always interesting. I always got like, am I Sing the rate um, uh, Brendan, uh, he, he's oh, going sorry, no, I, I,
0: had it around the wrong way. It was, it was Matthew okay. Dickerson. For fancy makers okay. yes. and Brenton Dickieson. Brenton.
1: Dickieson, <laughs> right. Um, he, he's delving back in all the original uh, C.S. Lewis uh, letters and, you know, the original scripts, which, uh, you know, uh, some of the people I interviewed had have, have done as well and found that there's a lot of little nuanced things and, and little moments in these people's lives that are really fascinating and kind of head turners um they're not what you would expect sometimes and and all that's good and all that's important uh when when sort of taking off uh especially with c.s lewis there's so many books that have been written by him or by about him but they're written when he was either still alive or, or just after or there were friends of his or people that were deeply connected to him whereas now we have uh, a little more of a neutral sort of look at it all and uh beginning to realize that sometimes people write things, even biographies, and they, they miss those little nuanced notes and those letters and, and what they really say. Sometimes they didn't even go to the source material.
0: Mm-hmm. We've interviewed Dr. Holly Ordway on this show a couple of times, and one of her big things is that people say that Tolkien never read any modern literature, and she has written a very thick book listing all of the modern literature that he did in fact read.
1: Yeah, and, and but the thing is, you people say that, right, those myths, and then they keep going and I found that actually, too, with biographies that I read. So, I, I, Some of the earlier ones, they were they were sort of not really telling the full picture. Um, Christian Jeffrey Johnson is a really interesting, uh, her her perspective on Mac, George McDonald, because mm. rather than going to the people that wrote about McDonald in the last century, she went to some of the source material. And she said sometimes, yeah, there was these little moments where it was like, they've got it incorrect. Or somebody told something because that's how they saw it. And then it just kept on going and going and passing through academic hand and academic hand. That to me is also fascinating too.
0: Yeah, that tends to happen. We're actually having her on later this season to give us a bit of a primer for McDonald and Fantasties. Because I'm I'm a a bit ashamed to say that although we're now in season five, we've actually haven't really devoted any time to him yet. But watching your documentaries made me realize we can't do that any longer. So I'm at least (laughs) starting to right that wrong.
1: I love telling people to go read the Golden Key by George MacDonald mm-hmm. because that's something you can like, you know, you can, you can read it in in you know a very short amount of time. You don't need to dedicate your life to it for the next week or so. But uh, Fantasties, uh what a, what a great and interesting perspective!
0: Absolutely. Uh, now in your in your documentary, what, something like a docudrama, I don't know quite how you'd say it, but you have people cast as MacDonald, Lewis, and Tolkien. All of the actors, wonderful, particularly the George Macdonald one. Uh, my first okay. encounter with George Macdonald was in the pages of The Great Divorce, as I read Lewis's description of this shepherd who uh, had been out and uh, 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 who who's wise. And your 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 choice for Macdonald was absolutely wonderful. How did you go about finding these people? Did you literally put out an advert saying wanted people that look like the Inklings and their friends?
1: The actor who plays George Macdonald, he. Uh, he i had worked with him earlier on on a on a bunch of little projects for farpoint films and i he i had seen him on facebook and i was like he's got the beard and i'm like <laughs> he is george mcdonald and it was i was like this is george mcdonald and uh so we knew him and i and i sent a note to him and he's like okay um, he's a fairly well-known actor in Canada, but he's also on a couple of really big television series that are out there now. Uh, and, and, and I was, uh, my first note to him was, you know, can you do it? Are you willing to do it? And he said, yeah, yeah, yeah no problem. We'll see if we can coordinate when he's in town. Um, and then the second one was like, as we got closer, I'm like, oh, and by the way, don't shave the beard. And he's like, no worries. He's on a biker show, uh, a big biker series. <laughs> And uh, he actually legally can't. Like he signed a contract that not cannot have <laughs> this beard until the series ends for that season or whatever. And and we were always double taking, going, "This is George McDonald," and he had the great eyes mm. as well. So oh, yeah. it was just haunting. Uh, yeah, haunting. And we so we found an Anglican church that was like they were like, "Yeah, sure, come and film whatever you want, whenever you want." And we were like, "All right, let's put him in there." There we go. We got our George <laughs> McDonald.
0: <laughs> was that? an overall vision for the project or a place that you arrived at with the project at the end that surprised you?
1: Um, I don't know. Uh, it was just sort of like, as, as I went along, I think very initially the, the idea that um, that the great, great fantasy writers out there Of the 20th century, and and also the father, uh, you know, or the grandfather of 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 modern fantasy, George MacDonald, that they were Christian, and so that really struck me interesting, or like that was really really cool. And I always saw George MacDonald, the Scottish writer, uh, bookending with J.K. Rowling, the Scottish writer, who also has incredibly deep Christian themes and ideas and concepts, you know, into Harry Potter, and. That's I, I often when I'm when I'm editing and once I start actually doing interviews, whatever I can find for the conclusion, I that goes in first. So I know where I'm going and mm. I know where we're headed and how we're going to get there. And I also have the teaser bin, right, where all the little moments that are maybe a little too, you know, you that maybe unpack themselves, but that just sort of highlight what we're going to get into. I put in the beginning. And so at least I have the bookends and then it's usually this horrific nightmare when I get all the interviews done and the reenactments, like of just this massive like eight hour monstrosity on a timeline. And uh that where I just have to like focus and just nibble down like bit by bit the interviews. And then that's when I start figuring out what we're gonna do for reenactments and all that. So that's kind of like how I how I work and how I start. I also, you know, obviously I went through a lot of the books uh well ahead and sort of jotted down notes and on all that. But I also find that like just meeting these people and coming sort of with a blank slate and asking them like, so how do we approach this? You know, when I bring up this, you know, you know, faith and and imagination and, you know, put people like. Malcolm Geit <laughs> or Rowan <laughs> Williams or Christian Jeffrey Johnson. Like, I mean, there you go. We're off to the races. And and mm. and, and you're know, letting them know that I'm not a PhD in English lit. Um, I'm just really curious. And uh, and I think there's a story there. Help me tell the story. And that's that's kind of how fantasy makers unfolded and how science fiction makers unfolded.
0: Well, let's talk about that second one—the uh, science fiction makers. It's something of a sequel to the fantasy makers. Uh, what was it that prompted the making of this particular documentary?
1: You know, I pretty much every project I start, I'm always like, "Oh, are we going to have enough material?" And uh, the fantasy makers, like, just right from the like, as soon as I started editing, I was like, "Oh my goodness, I don't know how we're going to like." And and I also had always, I had even done some interviews talking about. Um, science fiction figuring we go through the fantasy makers and then maybe tag on a chapter about also they branch CS Lewis branches off into science fiction, that kind of thing. And, and going a little bit further, but we were like, I, I wanted to explore star Wars in a big way in the fantasy makers or in science fiction makers as well. Um, but there was just no time. Like I started to realize we got, we got the story. We don't need to add on any chapters. And so the science fiction makers um, was really an extension of the ideas and interviews that we had already covered um, to a certain degree. Um, there's there's no interviews that I used again um, uh, in in the science fiction makers. Uh, but the the idea was that you know this is this is the second chapter. This makes a logical step, and then of course mm-hmm. you have C.S. Lewis bridging it. Right, C.S. Lewis has two feet in both worlds, which was you know. So you have the fantasy makers. These were the great fantasy makers of the 20th century and and, and earlier. But the science fiction makers was like these are the guys telling with you know deep faith and spirituality, but they weren't you know they weren't considered the great you know the the defining science fiction writers of the of that that period. Although Lengel arguably is one of the great Mm -hmm. ones, but Lewis you know never you know his uh, his science fiction is is Jeff definitely celebrated and it was definitely recognized at the time. But generally, he's a little further down the list in the twentieth century. So they were they were kind of the rebels, and then you have Rousseau. Uh, the writer uh, that that we that we that we you know cover at the beginning of the science fiction makers, who is almost unheard of. Uh, although there is a class now, a university class, because of the science fiction makers, where they are going to start looking at Rousseau, which is pretty cool. <laughs>
0: That's cool. Uh, we should probably actually answer this question first. What actually is science fiction? Because I have some friends that tell me that science fiction and fantasy are basically the same thing. Uh, what actually is the difference between the two?
1: You know, I think, arguably, yeah, there is, there's definitely, um, they definitely overlap. I mean, and there's fantasy, science fiction, and all that. But um, science fiction you can define in so many ways, and I just kind of do it a little bit in the documentary, and kind of like a crazy sprawling chalkboard of everything that's out there. But I think it's you know it's more looking, uh, obviously using science and technology, but also looking to the forward to the future. And I, I mean, the way I see it is, it's always digesting the human experience, uh, in a different way, um, Mm -hmm. you know, through the frame of technology and what if, whereas, you know, fantasy is, is really removing ourselves, you know, to work on the big problems and the big questions of our life with fantasy. Right. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's the other thing I've learned from both of these, that the real deep thinkers are, are step away and, and, you know, we process the problems we have. By stepping out of this machine and, and and you know putting into the fantasy world and putting it into the science fiction world. and uh, I mean, it's it's you look at some of the great minds out there. I mean, they love science fiction or they love fantasy, uh, mathematicians, physicists, no matter you know, philosophers, they people don't really not everybody understands that these books and and this imaginative these imaginative worlds are actually really integral to what we do. And of course, you know, my, my my documentaries look at that, the spiritual side of it, that these these science fiction writers and, and fantasy writers help us process uh, the bigger picture idea of, of, you know, spirituality and God and, and what we're here for.
0: And in your documentary, you go through some of the very early science fiction writers, identifying them as Mary Shelley, Jules Verne, and H.G. Wells. Uh, but then the first person that you then really focus on it is Victor Russo, who, I'm honest, I never heard of him. Uh, he wrote the Messiah of the Cylinder. Would you mind giving our listeners just a little bit of a primer on who this guy is and this story?
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, this guy—he's—he's uh, he's almost like he's just the strangest story. He's a prolific writer who just wrote tons of pulp. Uh, he managed to survive um, the Boer War. Um, he started. He always wanted to be a writer. He loved writing. He was bullied in school which is kind of like the theme of all these great writers. Um, I often think like, you know, you know, those kids that are out there being bullied, it's like, Hey, you're going to be, be could be a great writer. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, he just had, he had tons of literature growing up, read everything. Um, had a, and kind of a, there's also the, the strange sort of disconnect often with the families and the, and the, and the fathers in some of these situations too, which is often interesting. Rousseau had, had a really rough go of it with his family and his father. Um, and and so uh, the, I, I guess the best way to describe him was just somebody who just wanted to write the great novel. And he he actually grew up Jewish, and then he converted to Christianity or became Christian uh, when he was living in New York. He kind of comes out of nowhere in history. I know a lot of the academics I had talked to had never heard of him, and they they started passing around the PDF I had because it's, his, his work is, is is open and started question. I started getting feedback like, Oh, such and such gave this to me to read and said, Hey, you should read it. And uh, I thought that's interesting. Uh, they had never heard of it before I sent it to them. And because they actually saw a really unique story that got lost in the time uh, of war, it was, it was, it was uh, finished and published during the second first world war and It really. The first time I read it, I thought, "Wow! Like, how has somebody not made a movie out of this yet?" Really interesting sort of uh, storyline and twists and turns. And it's, uh, you know, sadly, Rousseau never got his great novel because this never really made it. He he wrote some other good ones out there, uh, but he was just churning out pulp. And uh, at the end of the day, you know, kind of a sad story. And that's why I also thought he would be great uh very contrasty to work from the fantasy makers here's a guy who never got his due who wrote a really interesting uh you know definitely clearly christian science fiction novel and uh worth looking at and worth you know introducing the world to him again
0: Uh, what is the setup for that story
1: it's, uh, you know, we go back 100 years, which is kind of interesting because it's like, you know, 100 years from now, actually, uh, a little bit more. But uh, he uh, basically a bunch of scientists are arguing over morality and right and wrong and spirituality and, and faith and religion. How, you know you got the one guy saying oh it's what makes our society and our world which is interesting when you look at the victorian period and the british empire the way they thought they were you know they were the ones carrying the world forward but then you have the other scientist who was you know faith is just ridiculous it's just a bunch of superstition and down the road it's going to be gone without giving any spoilers seeing as like this is in the opening chapters um a man is transported 100 years into the future and uh through through and it's also an interesting way that they do that um but i'm not going to spoil anymore um and uh that's kind of the setup this argument of faith and science and it couldn't possibly exist in the future so
0: and those are all topics that are very near and dear to c.s lewis's heart and he's the next person that you then talk about you talk about his ransom trilogy out of the silent planet Perelandra, and that hideous strength
1: Yeah. And, and, and it's interesting. I mean, those are, I think, I think those are becoming more and more relative to read now. Um, You know, they're they're, they're a little odd sometimes because they are uh, older. Um, It's kind of like the uh, uh, C.S. Lewis's Narnia, right? There, there, there's some terms and ideas that are kind of dated. But once you get into it, it's, it's, it's very interesting. And not only that, the fact that C.S. Lewis was kind of like, He's not writing like what we would think is like a trilogy because he kind of goes off the map in style and, and <laughs> yeah. ideas and characters in every way. But that, I mean, to me, once I started you know, inter- interviewing people about that, that made it all the more interesting that Lewis was just sort of letting his imagination run wild. And uh, he loved science fiction just as, you know, uh, he, he, he Lewis loved everything. He, you know, he he loved language. He loved uh, fantasy. He loved mythology. He loved science fiction, too. And that's what uh, often surprised a lot of people that I talked to, a little more of the conservative people in the church. They're like, oh, he didn't write science fiction. I was like, yes, he did. Of course he did. <laughs> and those I would find might even be more relative uh, at times than his Narnia uh, especially as we move forward, there's some eerie stories in there that are just like, wow, did he write it for our generation? Um, <laughs> you know, it's it's, uh, it's well worth re- reading as well, right? Uh, just like George MacDonald mm. and uh, Rousseau. If you like literature, like, you know, s- step off the beaten track and, and read some of these.
0: The only thing I would say, because I went into them blind, don't think that because you're reading science fiction, you're going to be reading Star Wars or Star Trek. It's yeah. different.
1: Right. Well, and I, I was going to have a whole chapter towards star Wars and sort of the, the, some of the ideas in there and the spirituality and some of the connections that Lucas had, uh, to, you know, putting religion into it. And it was just like, yeah, by time we got, and I interviewed everybody the last 10 minutes of every interview was like, tell me about star Wars <laughs> that never made it into the cut. And, and you know, I was like, well wow, we're getting longer and longer and there's no way we're going to get to that so but yes i mean st- anything imaginative that's wonderful really i mean you can draw something out of it and but i think mm-hmm. these particular writers that i focus on they've just very intentionally uh and also subconsciously because it's so much a part of their dna uh in you know put the spiritual ideas into it uh in, into the the stories they're telling
0: and after the silent planet was the point at which Lewis realized he could do that. He was shocked that very few of the reviewers realized what he was doing. And so he wrote to Sister Penelope and said, okay, this is how we're going to be start smuggling in theology from here on in. We're going to take these stories of romance, these, ad- these adventure stories, and we're going to start looking at some ideas that have been forgotten by society and are progressively being pushed out in favor of a, a raw
1: scientism. But that's something we can learn today. <laughs> that's more relative today. That whole idea um, is is probably a lot more relative than even you know back then. I know things were were crazy during the Second World War when he wrote it, but uh, I, I just as relative, if not more, today.
0: And we're even somewhat helped by the fact that society is becoming less and less biblically literate. Uh, I think this is another David Downing story. He said that uh, he had a student that once asked. Uh, I understand everyone keeps telling me that Narnia is a is a Christian book. I, I don't get it. And he says, well, you know, what happens? You know, Aslan he 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 comes and he dies for the sake of somebody else so they can be saved. Does that remind you of any other story? And they went, ah, oh, it's like Gandalf and Lord of the Rings.
1: <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> that's that's a great story. But
0: we have we get to have these conversations today more often when we're coming out of the cinema after people have seen something like the Lord of the Rings. We can actually have conversations about far deeper things. Uh, and the movie has given us a medium and a language through which we can talk about these ideas without, as Lewis would call them, the, the stained glass and Sunday school associations.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I would imagine back in the day that when they gathered around and told biblical stories uh, way back. Uh, had the same sort of uh, impact and inspired and, you know, ignited the imagination uh, rather than feeling like we're reading a rote in a Sunday school with the stained glass and the, the dusty pews. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, I mean, uh, story is, is how we function and how we relate. And and uh, I, I wish more people would understand that when looking at the Bible, right? It's about igniting your imagination, understanding, engaging with the ideas, not just having it read to you or, you know, regurgitating it back at people.
0: Mm. And Lewis said it's the organ of meaning, our imagination it's 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 what makes these stories relevant, necessary, important to our lives rather than just raw facts about them. So you talked about Lewis, who is the third person you talk about in the science fiction makers
1: Madeline Lengel, and uh i was so it was so exciting to have like a female and and she is sort of the <laughs> one that really um, you know, we, enough of Lewis and, and Tolkien in their dusty, you know, rooms reading books and uh, smoking. Um, she was the one who really uh, out of the science, the three science fiction makers that I look at uh, writers. She's the one who really made it, and and not only that was is considered one of the great science fiction writers of the 20th century. Hmm. And that was really fun, also to go through her books too. They're easy reads. But there's a lot of big ideas in there once you actually start thinking about it, which is great. I mean, you no know, kid should be you know, shielded from that. And you know they can take what they, they, they can at that time. But it's great to see how many adults go back to those books and realize oh, there's bigger ideas at play here or there's bigger meanings in that all. And I, I also just love that Lengel kind of like at the end of the day, she was that rebel who won. All her detractors and critics really kind of look like fools now. Um, in, in so many ways, uh, which kind of connects to the next project I'm working on as well.
0: Well, that was actually going to be my next question. Is there a <laughs> s- sequel to this planned or any other projects that you just wanted to talk about?
1: Uh, when the pandemic hit, we were like, we had just started the science fiction makers and I was like, how are we going to do this? And, uh, you know, so for a couple of weeks, we, I just, we just took a holiday and watched Netflix and, and figured, <laughs> well, this will figure itself out somehow. Uh, when we realized that, you know, it wasn't going away anytime soon, we we figured that we could do it uh, remotely. And so we we were very worried about the future. Uh, could we keep making films? You know, what are we going to do in this interim? So we kind of just like put the pedal to the metal and made the science fiction makers. We worked with remote crews for a lot of the interviews. Um, and from that, we were like, okay, we've got to get right on to the next project. Um, even if we have to start it without a full broadcaster or whatever. So I started mapping out the Christmas makers, looking at some of the great, uh, minds and and musical writers and, 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 and writers who who wrote what makes sort of our, our modern day Christmas, what it is, uh, the ideas Mm. of Santa, um, also the writer of silent night, that kind of thing and uh and then die hard? we had, I had you,
0: will he be interviewing die, bruce yeah bruce Willis.
1: <laughs> um uh yeah that that makes sense uh we actually that'll be the ending he'll he'll, he'll be the, the <laughs> artist at the end that sort of says and then now um but uh I had full intention of starting the christmas makers and a buddy of mine called me and said uh i've got a story about a whole comic book collection that was found in an abandoned house that was put up for auction And it was really exciting, Uh, and it was it was the story got really dark really fast, and we started getting kind of letters of threats, of legal threats, and all that, and uh, it got really dark. And my my producer partner said, maybe someday we'll tell this story, but right now we don't have people's rights. Uh, We thought people were dead, and they weren't dead. They were actually. Off in care homes somewhere, which was all very strange. There was a whole dark, dark, dark story about comic book collecting and it all. And uh, our broadcaster that we had, uh, that it said was like in a heartbeat, said, We're going for this. Uh, we had to go back and tell them that we can't tell this story. And in the meantime, we had shelled the Christmas Makers. And uh, the broadcaster said, Well, you got a broadcast license. So, like, what else can you do? And I was going to do the Christmas Makers. But uh, a dear friend of mine in, who's in both the science fiction makers and the fantasy makers, Derek White, the Reverend Derek White, he's the, mm-hmm. the gentleman from, uh, from Nashville. Uh, he's been just really itching to tell the true story of Dungeons and Dragons and all the mm-hmm. spiritual religious background to it. And the fact that all the creators and designers, including Gary Gygax, were, were devoted Christians. And they were, became the most demonized, uh, people out there in the 1980s, mm. uh, courtesy of the media, all that. And so we ran with that. And, uh, as soon as the, uh, restrictions lifted, we got down to a couple of cons, got down to Nashville and we're just finishing post, uh, over the next month on looking at the, uh, looking at partly the spiritual roots behind Dungeons and Dragons, but also, all the spiritual people who were bullied and had their, you know, trampled on as kids um, by the the people who were criticizing Dungeons and Dragons and very much Lang- like L'Engle, um those critics back then, they don't have a leg to stand on anymore. And the world has changed and people are starting to really pick apart sort of some of these critiques and uh, the satanic panic that happened in the 1980s, which Langle would have been part of uh, in her books. The banning of her books would have been part of as well. Um, the idea when the church sees something new and creative and imaginative, and more importantly, sees their kids doing it, uh, Mm -hmm. without them, uh, they kind of like freak out. And so that's, that's the project I'm working on right now. I, I, I do hope to get to the Christmas makers again. Uh, we do have a couple other, I, every so often I step back and I do uh, editing work on feature films or series. So we don't know what the new year is going to hold, but the Dungeons and Dragons one is going to be coming out. Uh, it's called the Satanic Panic and the Religious Battle for the Imagination. Uh, a lot of pastors, a lot of pastors playing d in it and uh, sort of stepping back in history, uh, a timeline. And, and in many ways, it's kind of like the game makers. It's kind of like the fantasy makers, the science fiction makers and the game makers, but it's more focused on, on Derek White's story and his perspective on it. So mm. it's kind of like that cousin that's part of these two siblings that we have here. And then hopefully we'll do the Christmas makers eventually.
0: And Derek White might be known to some people as the geek preacher. Exactly. I do remember seeing a, a movie. I'm pretty sure it was made by Christians. And it was all about how uh, kids playing Dungeons and Dragons one by one get possessed and murdered. Uh,
1: yeah. That'd that, be that's, Monsters that's and be- Mazes.
0: <laughs> that's it. That's right? it. Yeah, Yeah.
1: With Tom Hanks. That is a was he movie in
0: based. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Wow. Yeah.
1: It was one of his first things he did. And that was one of the, 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 it was a movie based off of a novel that was loosely based off of a book that was loosely based off of, a, of something that didn't actually happen at the end of the day. It was a lot of speculation. And sort of as you translate through it, it becomes a ridiculous sort of non fact based movie. But a lot of people saw it in the 80s and were like, oh, there you go. Uh, Dungeons and Dragons, and you know, it makes people go and kids go crazy and kill themselves or or lose their grip on reality. Um, but the truth is, all the all, all the data we have now, uh, Dungeons and Dragons actually reduces the risk of suicide in kids. Uh, but not only that, uh, it, it's it's I mean, it's great for post-traumatic stress. It's great. They use it with soldiers uh, as well to help them. Uh, deal with some of the things that they're, the the mental issues they're dealing with, but hmm. it also is now being cited as a great way to get kids off of screens and <laughs> using the other parts of their brains. Um, you know, rather than being fixated on a on a narrative that's fed to them, actually being part of uh, something a little more imagine, imaginative.
0: Andrew Wall, thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been really interesting. It was fun. I'm hearing the last call for drinks. So to wrap things up, where can people go to find out more about you and your work?
1: Yeah, uh, you can go to refuge31.com. Uh, and you can also, up in Canada, Super Channel has a lot of our films. Uh, there's Vision Video down in the US that you can find some of our stuff. I, you know, I also, when I'm not doing this, I'm also doing uh, Mennonite stories, historical Mennonite stories. Uh, I told a big refugee story about Mennonites um, that fled the Soviet Union during the Second World War a very interesting uh, story of people being caught uh, in between the Soviets and the Nazis and uh, you know being shot by one and being embraced by the other and in the end they end up uh, fleeing uh, Europe and uh, on a ship called Fallen dam and so the, the film's called Fallen dam uh, different perspective and it was one of those things where we were interviewing people that were fading fast they were in their 80s and 90s and we wanted to get their their perspective uh, before they couldn't tell it in their own their own voice with their own emotion and their own uh, their own faces so awesome (laughs)
0: thanks again to Andrew Wolf coming on the show thanks to all of our listeners Patreon supporters particularly our top tier supporters Bud, Shane, John Kevin, Brian, Kay Monique, Paul Kimberly, Gillis Gary, Stephen, Matt Jeff, Kelly Chris, John, Kate Peter, David and Rowdy wow and uh, if you want to be part of our team of supporters on Patreon we are going to be organising some viewing parties shortly to watch the documentaries that we've talked about today but until then please join us next time when we'll be going further up and further in cheers
1: Cheers.